The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boot rockers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and you'll see two videos at the top of the screen there. The one on the left has ADHD. This was a Bradley show from yesterday um, dealing with what the guy who came up with ADHD apparently claimed on his deathbed, and that was that it was all a fraud. He had made it up, and it was, I guess it was to pump kids full of Drugs so that they could make lots of money and control people. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the the background for all of that was. But you can check it out at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And on the right side of the page is where we're at. Just click on the play button, 
blow it up on whatever device you've got and join us in the chat. Love to have you over there on Rumble. All you got to do is there's a Rumble icon in the bottom right. Click on that and that'll take you over to the chat. We're also streaming to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're on dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty and also top of the page there at uh, beforeitsnews.com. We appreciate those guys carrying us over there. Also right be- below where we're at, you can sign up for our email newsletter. Um, also, if you agree with our message and you would like to help support us, there's a donate button at the top of the Sons of Liberty Media.com page. You can click on that and make a one-time donation. Or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And we appreciate each and every one of you who do that uh, because you're giving a voice that not too many people are giving. I'm not saying there's not any. I'm not Elijah going out here, Lord, uh, we're the only ones. And he's like, take it easy, guys. I got 7,000 who haven't bailed the need to bail. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, I, I don't believe that. I believe there are people who are faithful and doing the things that they're doing in a similar manner that we are, that they're continuing to press uh, forward the crown rights of King Jesus upon the things that we see before us. And yes, folks, whether it is unlawful money, whether it is unlawful spending, whether it is corruption in government, whether it is corruption in the individual, whether it is a shooting, whether it is um, you know, drag queens or homosexuality or abortion, you name it, God has something to say to the issue. He really does. He really does have something to say to it. And we would be wise people if we learn from him. After all, he's he's the creator of all things, right? Both visible and invisible. We'd be wise to listen to him. But oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we're very foolish. And we want to be wise in our own eyes and do what we want to do. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning um, as a continuation from yesterday's program. Also, our store is available. This week we're highlighting through Saturday at midnight, the prayer that rocked the Capitol. Again, if you want to see how the Mockingbird media jumps on the bandwagon when they get um, uh, the memo down that's come out. They are simultaneously across the nation coming out the same message uh, in either their promotion of someone or they're taking down of someone. And this was one from 2011 where Bradley was asked to to pray at the Minnesota State Capitol. And uh, within minutes, literally minutes of the end of the prayer, uh, the, the, the Mockingbird media just went after him. And then you'll see also, you guys continue continuing to trust in the party spirit. Oh, we got to get Republicans in there. You know what? I seem to recall, look, I seem to recall years ago, when was it? Um, 2000. Everybody said, oh, you know, we, it's a time for, we got to get the Republicans in there. And who did they put in there? Mr. Skull and Bones Jr. himself, George W. Bush. He had a Republican, there was a Republican White House, Republican Congress, Republican Senate. What did they do? They delivered you the Patriot Act, didn't they? That's right. They delivered you that thing, why you got to take your shoes off going through the the airport, why you got to have everything swabbed, why you got to go through cavity searches and scanners. They delivered that to you. Keep going down that road, people. Why is in your own eyes? Well, what's your solution to him? I've already told you. D.C.'s gone. You need to abolish it. And that was Thomas Jefferson and the Founding Fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence. That's what they put in there, too. You need to abolish it. Not prop it up. Not try to get in there and, you know, fumigate the place because you're not going to fumigate it. There's too many bugs. Too many cockroaches. 
The corruption is down to the foundation. You need to dissolve it. And frankly, you need to let that beast starve. You need to starve it out. Ah, yeah, I can go on about that thing <laughs> for quite a while, I'll tell you. All right, so I've got one video I want to show you, and then we're going to try to get into this so I'm not spending a long time over. Uh, I know most of you guys, at least in the chat, don't mind if I go over a little bit, and that's fine. But um, this one right here, I, I call me crazy here. I, I cannot understand... And look, I know, like, uh, what's her name? Marjorie Taylor Greene. I know she put up articles of impeachment, but she couldn't get people, she could not get people to jump on board with it. Now, why is that? But if this isn't a cause to show you to use the amendment to remove a president who can't perform his duties, and, and he's not just not performing his duties, he's a usurper. I shouldn't call him a president, but he's in that office. Whether whether we need, you know, whether we think he ought to be there or not, they're not doing anything to deal with it. These guys that want your vote in November, right? The Red Party. Think about that a second. The Red Party. The GOP, the Republicans, they want your vote, but they're not willing to deal with the problems. Same thing with Donald Trump. And I know I saw some uh, things in the chat. Oh, Donald Trump's you know, Mar-a-Lago was raided by the FBI. Okay, just keep your pants on, all right? Watch what comes of it. Watch what comes of it. Donald Trump's supporters have been imprisoned, taken from their homes, kidnapped, not even charged in many cases, spent 18 months in jail. And what has Donald Trump done for those people? Goose egg. He's done nothing for them. Nothing for them. And people are starting to question, well, if Donald Trump's the leader of the, the alleged coup, which it wasn't, why hasn't he been arrested? Well, see, this is part of the W... This is, this is what I see happening. This is, this is just me. I could be wrong. But I see this as part of the WWE match, just to get people to buy into it. Well, we need to get, elect Donald Trump again. See, he's under attack, too. Guys, this is all a stage. And if you actually, look, it, this, is the, this is the disconnect that some people have. They go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, Donald Trump was the guy, you know, he, he, got, he worked with the FBI to get all these people and this, that, and the other before. Mm -hmm. and, and so why is the FBI invited, you know, going down there and doing all what they're doing? Well, one, they've been empowered by the fact that they're acting illegally and they're unconstitutionally... Uh, set up. Again, we've talked about this over and over. The real law enforcement is the people. FBI is not mentioned in the Constitution. Sorry, it isn't. CIA isn't mentioned. Guess what? Your military isn't mentioned to enforce the law here either. You are. Me, I am. We're, we're charged with enforcing the law. And this is why, this is why we must be those who learn our duty and begin to do it. Okay? Begin to do our duty. The reason all this corruption continues on is because we haven't done our duty. So here's a video. Now, you guys on Red State aren't going to be able to see it. I'll kind of describe it to you uh, here. But, again, 
there's an amendment for moving the guy from the White House when he's incapable of doing his job. And this is just the latest example of a I mean how do you how do you tolerate a man? Look, I can deal with old men. We had G. Edward Griffin on. Sharp as attack. He's gonna be ninety one in November. Happy early birthday while I'm thinking about that. <laughs> But G. Edward Griffin is sharp as a tack, knows his stuff. And even when he has to go back and recall it in his memory, I mean, he can pull it up. And we've got this Yahoo, this treasonous man in the White House, this imposter of a president, just like his predecessor, Barack Hussein Obama, Satoru Sabarka. He was a usurper, period. There's no doubt about it. This guy can't seem to put his jacket on. Here he is, standing out, trying to get, he's got one arm in his jacket, he's got, he's got tight lace-up boots on, and his wife, this pedophile enabler, can't even help him get his arm in his jacket. I mean, then he drops his glasses. Oh, my goodness. It's an embarrassment. And I ask, where are the people in Congress standing up and saying, wait, we can't let this guy keep going on. Not only is he engaged in treason, he can't even function as a human being. And he's got his his, uh, mug muzzle on, okay? His wife doesn't, but he does. If this guy isn't controlled, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who he is. I, I really don't. I really don't. Okay. Yesterday, um, <clears throat> several of you sent me some messages about yesterday, and um, uh, you appreciated the content. And thank you for that. But you know, glory to God for that. If if because look, my intention is not to build up man here. Man is basically bad. Put any man that you know into a position of authority, and almost every one of them, almost every one of them, will show corruption at some point in time. They will. They'll just show it. It'll, it'll become evident. And this is why we have to keep them in check. If you're going to put them in authority, you've got to keep them in check. And frankly, I'm really wary about putting men in authority. In fact, the Bible says about when you have elders or deacons or you set aside somebody for a particular gospel ministry, you do so with caution. Because you're going to answer for putting them in that position. Okay? You're going to answer for putting them in that position. So with that said, I want to take just a couple of passages today, but they're they're lengthy passages. And uh, I want to recommend for those of you who may be saying, hey, you know, I, I don't... I don't understand this. Look, I'm all for questions because questions is how we learn. You know, the Bible says that when the Passover took place and they were to partake of the meal, that God told uh, Moses, he said, that, you know, the fathers are going to be asked by the children, why are we doing this? What, what is the significance of it? They're asking questions. And the fathers are to be able to, to convey what that meal meant and what they were doing. Okay? 
Uh, I've, I've told you about uh, where Paul was teaching, and he used the term in the Greek katecheo. We get the term where we draw from catechism. We ask questions. We give answers. We allow for other questions to be asked. We go to the scriptures, and we show where these answers come from for these questions. We do all those kinds of things with our kids. So I want to throw this out first before I forget it. In the things, and I want you to understand something. The things I shared with you yesterday, the things I will share today, and maybe some in the future concerning God's sovereignty in either saving people from their sins or hardening in their sins, I didn't learn from this book. I learned from the book. I learned from the Bible. I was seeing those things because my friends encouraged me to get in to read, so I did. And I saw these things. I just didn't know how they fit together because of the teaching and the indoctrination that I had before. Now, not all of that teaching was bad, but there were things that affected my understanding of what I was reading. But I saw all these things in the Scripture. So this didn't come from, you know, some book or some teacher or something like that. This came from the Scriptures. But a friend of mine said, well, I see that you're seeing these things. This is how they fit together, and they recommended this book here. It's by R.C. Sproul. It's called Grace Unknown, The Heart of Reformed Theology. Now, friends, listen to me very carefully. This is the doctrine that broke the back of the papacy out of the Dark Ages. This is the doctrine that set men free. This is the doctrine that crushed the papal rule that was going on. And how did it do it? It's because it taught the truth and it pointed back to Scripture. And when I read this, I said, oh, oh, I see how it all works now. I see how it fits together, these things, because nobody taught me. I was in a Southern Baptist church that didn't teach any of this stuff. I, in fact, there were points in time I thought I was becoming a heretic. <laughs> Uh, because nobody taught it. And all my friends who were pastors and youth pastors and stuff like this, um, when I'd bring this up, they went completely the opposite direction. Uh, but it's a good book for you to get into. I'd highly recommend it to you. And um, again, you know, you, you eat the meat, you spit out the bones. Um, but I think in large measure, the truth is there in this book. This is the true gospel. Those of you who like C.H. Spurgeon... He used to say Calvinism, what is termed Calvinism, it's really biblical theology, that's what it is, is the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It is about the glory of God. It's about the sovereignty of God. It is not about man and his, quote-unquote, free will or his desire or, any, or his goodness. It's not about that. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. Man is a slave. He, is, he has been chained. He is dead. <laughs> All he can do is stink and rot. That's what he can do, apart from the work of God. And so I'd highly recommend that. But let me take you to a couple of passages. I really want to focus on, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans. We're going to deal with that in just a second. But this piece right here, and I'm going to slide my microphone over here. So those of you who are watching, you'll, you're going to get a big shot of that uh, here. So Jesus has performed this miracle. Most of you are familiar with the, the loaves and the fishes. He's performed this miracle. And remember, you know, I'm not a big looking for signs and wonders person. I, that, because the Bible talks about that. And it says, the Jews look after a sign, right? 
And the Gentiles are ones who, who are looking after uh, wisdom and all this other stuff. Well, if we come over into John chapter 6, and I slid down a little bit, so I'm sliding up here a little bit. I'm hiding that from you guys because I was reading down through there during the intro. Um, <clears throat> but what we find is after Jesus had fed all of these people with bread, with loaves and fishes, okay, in a miraculous way, because there was only a small amount of them there, okay, the people aren't, don't begin to follow him because he had, you know, the words of life, which we'll get into at the end of the chapter. They began to follow him because they wanted more bread and fish sticks. That's what they wanted. It wasn't even fish sticks. They took the fish to kind of use like a mayonnaise or something like that on the bread so that the, you know, you ever eat just the dry bread? Yeah, doesn't go down too good, does it? Uh, so you got to have something on there to kind of slick it up, make it a little moist, whatever. So here's what we see happened after that event. Now, Jesus and the disciples uh, are traveling um, over to the other side of the lake. And so we find in John chapter 6, verse 22, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other uh, boat there, save that one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, Neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles. You, you remember Jesus uh, had addressed people before and he said, If you don't believe the words I say, at least believe because of the miracles that you're seeing. Okay? So he goes on and he says, But because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Now how many times in the Old Testament are we told that, that men's gods are their bellies? Hmm. They want their bellies filled. They want their, the lust of the hunger. And hunger is a natural thing. Just like a sex drive is, is a natural thing. But it can become that which is unnatural. It can be that which is um, lustful, that is, that is sinful. So he says... Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him he hath for him hath God the Father sealed. And they said unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. Are you, are you paying attention? This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. This is reminiscent of what happened with Abraham. God made a promise to him, and the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was what? Accounted unto him as righteousness. It was counted him into righteousness. So Jesus is saying, you need to believe on me. Now, he doesn't go out and extrapolate this, but he's saying, I'm the one that was promised to Abraham. Believe on me, the one that the Father sent. Believe on me. That's what he's saying. And they said therefore unto him, What signs showest thou then? See how they're looking for signs? They're looking for wonders, all this kind of stuff. Ugh. What signs showest thou then? That we may see and believe thee. 
these people just had a couple of loaves and fishes turned into a meal for thousands of people. And, and they're like, well, can we have another sign? Because we're really hungry. That's really what's going on. Our bellies are growling. Can you show us another sign that we may see and believe? They didn't believe when he did it the first time. Okay? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So here's something, just a little caveat here. Jesus is saying that manna that came down there in the wilderness for the people to consume, to eat, that was a picture of him. It was a picture of how the Father feeds us, of how he cares for us. And it's in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. It's kind of like the woman at the well. Remember that, that chick? She comes up. She's got all these husbands. And the guy that she's living with is not her husband. She's there to draw water. And he's like, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. Oh, Lord, give me this water. I won't have to drag this pot up here all the time. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have that. Is this like, you know, can I, is this something, you know, sort of magical that I can set up the pot in my house and uh, the water will just keep coming out? Remember the, the lady uh, with the prophet Elijah and she had the oil and, she, and he says, bake me a cake here. And he's not talking about a cake like a birthday cake, but he bake me some bread. And she did it, and there were, the oil kept filling up. Is it one of those kind of things, Lord? Is that what's going on? And he said, no. He says, I'm talking about to you the eternal life, the rivers of a living water. If you consume them, they'll, what? Be rivers of living water coming out of your belly. That's what he's talking about. So here it's bread. So he says, then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Why? Because they will be filled. They'll be filled. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. You've not only seen me, you've seen the miracle I just produced the other day. But you don't believe. You keep looking after signs. By the way, if you're in unbelief and you keep looking for signs, you're just further, you're just hastening your judgment. You really are. And he says, But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. Now, now this is going to be difficult for some people, but I'm going to tell you what. If you are a genuine believer, I really believe this hits home in your heart. And you say, you know, I'm having a hard time maybe understanding it, but I know that to be true. All that the Father giveth me, that's Jesus, shall come to me. That's Jesus. And him that cometh to me... I will in no wise cast out. Notice something here. 
What starts all this? We talked about this the other day. Who's given who to who? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, let me, let me bring up something here. Because earlier this year, the end of April, uh, I gave away my daughter. Okay? This young man, who is the brother of her older sister, who became her husband. I gave her away. The previous year, last year, I gave away her older sister to that guy's brother, and he became her husband. Are you getting a picture here? Because there is a picture here. In the scriptures, the father is the one with the authority to give away his daughter. Nobody else has that authority. The daughter doesn't have it. The sons don't have it. The father has it. Okay? And do you know what the church is called in comparison to Jesus? She is called his what? His bride. His bride. And if you go back and you read, if you go back and read the story of Abraham, and he's looking for a bride for his son Isaac, what does he do? He takes Eleazar, makes him give an oath, sends him back into his land. He says, you choose a wife from the family there. And Eleazar goes, and he gets a wife for Isaac, and they're willing to let her go. The family is willing to let her go. And they make the final decision, her choice. They're not trying to push her into something that she wants. But she says, if you're willing, you can go. They give their approval. And she goes. Look at what it says here. All that the Father giveth me. Now, who's the bridegroom in the picture that we see? It is Christ. We read this out of Ephesians the other day. Husbands love their wives, even as Christ loved the church, gave himself forth, that he may present her as a spotless bride. Blameless, right? Bride. We see it in the book of Revelation where we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage. There's this intimacy that goes on. And so here's what he says. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, let me ask you something. Is there anybody who's going to come to Christ that the Father doesn't give? No. No. Is there anybody that the Father gives to Christ who won't come to Him? No. But all that the Father does give the Son shall come to Him. That implies there's some the Father doesn't give. And Jesus spoke about this to the Pharisees. He says, you don't hear me because you're not, a, you're, you're, you're not of the Father. Your Father's the devil. Okay? And then He says, in Him... And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. In other words, if you really genuinely come to Christ, Jesus isn't going to cast you out. Why? Because you've been given to Jesus by the Father. That's what he's saying. It's pretty simple. It's not hard. It's not complicated. Okay? Then he says, and I know we're not delving into a lot of the language and stuff, because I think it's pretty self-explanatory what it's saying. We could do that. We could do that. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And what's the will of him who sent him? To seek and save that which is lost, right? That's the will of the Son performed before the Father. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose a few, a couple, 
There's some rebels here. No, that's not what it says. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Hmm. I like them apples. And I hear people stupidly say, well, but, you know, we'll get into this. Let me, let me save that for a minute, okay? So he says this, I'm going to raise him up at the last day. Then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They weren't fussing about all this deep theological things here. He says, they murmured because they said, he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Because they didn't believe the virgin birth. They were saying he was a fornication, if you read in other passages. They were saying that Mary and Joseph were doing things they shouldn't have been doing before they were married. And that wasn't true. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me. Listen. Listen. This really ought to strike fear in the heart of the unbeliever. It really should. No man can come to me. That word can is ability, not a possibility, not a permission. Look, maybe you had a mom or dad like I had. And I'd say uh, something like, you know, you're in church or whatever. Can I go to the bathroom? You know, little kid, can I go to the bathroom? Well, yeah, you can go to the bathroom. That's not an issue. Everybody can. (laughs) That's a natural process, right? What you mean to ask is, may I go to the bathroom? See, the words have meaning there. And for a lot of us, we miss a lot of this because we don't get what's being said. And so Jesus issues a word of ability. And he says, no man has the ability to come to me. No man can come to me. And then look at how he finishes off. So he says, no man can come to me. They don't have the ability to come to me, except the Father which has sent me, draw him. Now, here's where I'll do one word. Draw here literally means dragged. If I'm not mistaken, it's the same word that's used when they dragged the fish there in John chapter 21, where we, where we went yesterday, where they dragged the fish onto the shore. Okay, that's the picture that Jesus has given. You cannot come to me except the Father which has sent me dragged him or drew him. Now, this isn't a drew like it might happen. Um, he might get real close and then not really come in. That's not what he says. And I will raise him up at the last day. This is effectual. It is not... A possibility. When the when <clears throat> Jesus says this, he's not saying it's possible for everyone to be drawn, all in the whole world, every single individual that's ever lived, is possible to be drawn. No, it's not. Only those that the Father gives him will be drawn. Now, it used to be, <clears throat> I'd heard some discussion, and even I bought into it for a little while, Maybe we should have this message just, you know, inside the church, in the confines of those who are believers. But this is taking place out in the open. This is taking out 
This is taking place. Jesus' words are said among those who are still unbelievers. So I don't think it's to be kept just within the body. This message has to go out so that people have to understand their inability to both please God and also to come to God. So, how does he continue on? It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> if you are listening or you're watching, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if your life has been turned right side up and you've been born again, as we talked about yesterday, you are that not because you figured something out, because you're more spiritual, more enlightened, a better person, whatever excuse you want to give. You are that because the Father drew you to the Son. And the Son says, I'm not going to push away what the Father has given me. This is my bride. Understand that picture there. This is my bride. Remember I taught yesterday, he has set his love upon us. Not in some kind of sexual connotation, but in an intimate relationship with himself. God has done that. And how did he do it? Through his son. And so he says this, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Now, this one, I'm going to just take just a brief minute because I had some questions on this last week by uh, s someone I was talking with. And they said, well, if um, it, Jesus says nobody's seen the Father, and yet in the Old Testament there's, there's all these accounts. You know, Moses saw God's backside, so to speak, his afterglow. Um, you, you've got Abraham, who who has the uh, two angels that come down in appearance of men, and God is alongside them too, right? As they go down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You've got Samson and his wife, who sees the Lord. And everything that I have seen is that they're seeing a pre-incarnate Christ who comes. Joshua sees the leader of the armies of the Lord, and he falls down and worships him. And we know that angels don't accept worship. But Jesus does. Jesus accepts that. Okay? So, when he says this, he's saying they haven't seen the Father. The Father is spirit. Okay? They haven't seen him. But Jesus saw him. Why? Because Jesus was with the Father in the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1, and following. And if you read the Lord's real prayer, he, I mean his prayer, not his model prayer, if you read the Lord's prayer in John chapter 17, what do we see there? Restore me to the glory I had with you in the beginning. What glory was that? It was that glory that he shone forth on the Mount of Transfiguration before his disciples. It was the glory of not being trapped in human flesh, but of being the God of gods. The creator of all things. That's what he's talking about. So he says this, and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat men in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread, he's talking about himself, which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. 
I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And here, here goes the guys thinking physical again, just like everybody else that gets these kind of, I don't want to say parables, but these metaphors that Jesus is giving. They go, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're going you're gonna to skin yourself alive and give us some of that? That's not what he has in mind at all. And in fact, this is a lot of early Christians were called cannibals because of the words of Jesus here. And they weren't cannibals. Now, if you buy into Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, then yeah, you could probably be thinking, and people could point out and say, well, you're thinking you're really eating flesh and you're really eating, you're drinking blood. They might be right to call you something like that. Witchcraft is what it is. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now what is he talking about here? Stop and think about what Jesus has said before. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what is he saying? Feed on my words. What is his command uh, when he goes back to the Father, to his disciples? You are to teach all things which I've commanded. You are to teach my words. Why? Because you fed on them. You've seen that they are good. You've seen that they are real, that they are trustworthy. You've demonstrated that. <laughs> I like that, Mateo. Soul food. Yeah, real soul food, right? <laughs> uh, that's, what, that's what he's saying, though. It is good for the soul, the Word of God. It's strength to our bones. Isn't that what the, the psalmist says? Yeah. Yeah, it's strength to us. And then he goes on. We're going to close this out. Boy, I'm running along in this chapter, and I want to jump over here to a couple of the pa uh, other passages. So if you're on you know, Red State Talk Radio, just jump over on BeforeIt'sNews.com, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, Rumble at Sons of Liberty Media, uh, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, or DLive.TV if you want to, at the Sons of Liberty, if you want to uh, uh, finish this out, because we'll close out at the, at, at the end of the show, and then we'll, we'll kind of do that. Verse 59. See how let me let me just tell you something. When I wasn't a, when I wasn't a believer, I read stuff like this. I had no idea what I read. I couldn't even told you a sentence I read. And I can tell you for at least a year before my conversion, I was reading my Bible. I had no idea what I just read. I could go read a Steve, Stephen King novel and tell you all the story. But when I read the Bible, I'm checked out. I, I just I I didn't get anything. But do you see how simple this is when you stay in the context as to what Jesus is saying? 
this is uh, it's it's just incredible how simple the context flows here. Now I'm not saying there are not didactic teachings in in the Bible in which you may have to use a little more study, if you will, to understand some things. I'm not saying that. But this is pretty simple and straightforward. Okay, So he continues up here, and he says, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Yeah, well, the Bible says that too. The carnal man receiveth not the things of God, or the Spirit of God, nor can he know them. And again, that word, nor can, can, he doesn't have the ability to know or understand the things of God, except it's given to him by God. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, doth this offend you? So he sees some people, all right, who are having trouble with this. Some of his disciples, does this offend you that I told you this? What, and if ye see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth a little bit. Is that what it says? No. It profit nothing. Nothing. Listen, friend. Nothing that you do can profit you as far as making things right between you and God. Nothing. You can't do anything. That's what he's saying. Doesn't matter how much you work it up, how spiritual you seem, how many prayers you offer up, how many rosaries you do, how many candles you light, how many services you attend, what special holy days you want to be about, how much money you give, any of that stuff, none of it, it profits nothing. Profits nothing. And this is what Rome focused on. This is what broke their back, <laughs> was the reformers rediscovering the true gospel. Because it says you can't profit anything. You can't make enough pilgrimages. You can't be on your knees long enough. You can't cry out and, and confess your sins to a priest enough. You can't do any of that. You can do it. It's not going to amount to anything. You can't pay enough uh, indulgences. It profits you nothing. In fact, all it does is heap up more judgment on you because you should know better. But you're dull of hearing. So, he says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. It is a supernatural work for a person to become a believer. It's, it's, I've experienced that. And it's, it's really... I didn't understand that. Yeah, I didn't ask you to understand it. Sorry, this is one of these phones doing this. I don't know why it even comes on. It's weird. Anyway, yeah, th that's the carnal man right there coming out of my phone. I didn't understand that. <laughs> How do you like that? Oh, the timing of that is... Uh, yeah, that's curious. They didn't understand it because they weren't drawn to the Father. 
And it says this, verse 66, notice, from that time, many of his disciples went back. Some of those people were coming. We're not talking about the initial 12. Some of the disciples that were coming on, that were learning from him, went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus said unto the 12, will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, I love this. Okay, Simon, look, Peter's got his problems. He's got his issues. He thinks he's got it all together. You know, he's the rough fisherman. He's the tough guy. He's got the testosterone, all this stuff. Peter goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ. And remember, how, how, what did Jesus say to Peter when he said that? When he says, who do men say that? He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. But my Father, hmm, see, that goes right along with this, doesn't it? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Well, see, Tim, he chose, he chose all of them, even Judas. Yes, he did. And why did he do that? Was it for salvation, or was it, as Jesus said, so the Scriptures might be fulfilled? Which was Judas betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. One of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. I'm going to tell you what. John chapter 6. I was told after I became a Christian, read John. So that's where I went. And here's John chapter 6, and it, it didn't rock my world spiritually, it actually put my world into perspective of what I had experienced. I saw it in the text here. This is what God did to me. I didn't, I didn't do this to myself. So there's a couple of places I want to go. One is in Romans, in chapter 9. And again, we're talking about God's mercy and his hardening of hearts. So we see the reason somebody can have a soft heart, the reason somebody can have a new heart, the reason somebody can follow after Christ is because the Father who sent Christ draws you. It's not because of the works you do. We read that out of Ephesians chapter 2 yesterday. If you missed the show, you can go back there. That's kind of a, I guess, a prerequisite coming into this one. Um, but it's interesting to me because over in Romans chapter, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 8, I'm sorry. And uh, when we come down through here, one of the things that we see is, and I love this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, mm, this power comes back to John chapter 6, they've been called by the Father to the Son, according to his purpose. And then watch this. Now this has been, re in, you know, in a theological circles, this is referred to as the golden chain of redemption. Okay? Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So let's stop right there. Let's address a, a particular question because there are people who go, see, he foreknew. He foreknew who would choose Christ, and then he predestinated them. What? We just got reading John chapter 6. 
Nobody's going to choose Christ unless the Father who sent Christ draws them. Come on, guys, let's be consistent here. Does that mean that people don't believe in Christ? No, they do. Does that mean people don't repent of sin? No, they do. But it's the work of God in them. It is not themselves doing it out of their own flesh. It isn't. And he goes on and he says this. In fact, when we think about foreknowledge, see, we think about foreknowledge like somebody told us something's going to happen and we look at it and it happens and we call that foreknowledge. We we knew about that because they had a plan to do this. Uh, You know, the kids are going to play a ball game tonight. So we know it happens at 7 o'clock. So we go out there. We know there's going to be a ball game unless there's some kind of act of God or whatever. But even in that, we'll say, well, we had foreknowledge of that. And that's how we think of God's foreknowledge. But let me ask you something. God is all-knowing. Right? He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. And so, what is foreknowledge to him? Can God learn something? Just asking a question. Can he learn something? So if he can't learn something, he already knows it. He knows all things. How they're going to transpire. When they're going to transpire. Who's going to do them. And not just one or two events, he knows every intent, action. I mean, it's incredible. He knows all of it for all people of all time. And here we have Paul saying, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That means determining, we talked about this yesterday, determining a destiny beforehand to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And it's not talking about uh, that he's somehow, you know, first in line created. You know, I know uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will teach things like that. That's not what it has to do with. In fact, when you go back in the Old Testament and you read about the firstborn, sometimes the firstborn wasn't the firstborn. This is a title. It gives blessing. Okay? You can read it in the story of Jacob and Esau. You can read it among... um, uh, Joseph's sons. Okay? And his father coming down to bless them, and he blesses the younger over the, the older as the firstborn. Jesus is the same way. So, them he, those he predestinated, them he also called. So before you were ever a thought between your mom and dad, God had predestinated you if you're a believer. All right, let me close this out, and we'll pick this up, because this is where it starts to get really good, as far as I'm concerned. All right, Not that it hasn't been in the previous chapter. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And tomorrow we'll be back with the Common Core Diva Lynn Taylor for Rotten to the Core Wednesday. We'll see you then. Adios. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over from uh, Red State Talk Radio. And we are in the midst of Romans chapter 9, and notice what he says. So he calls them. So again, before you were thought between your mom and dad, God had already made a destiny for you if you're a believer. Okay? And then he called you in time. He called you in time. That calling that Jesus gave, he says, the one that the Father gave me, or the one that the Father gives me, will come to me. That's that calling. And the ones he called, 
Them he also justified. That means he made them, he declared them to be righteous. Not that they were righteous in and of themselves. He made a judicial declaration based on the finished work of Christ, a perfect man, the second Adam who came, and the blood that he shed was applied to us who believe. At a moment in time, it was applied to us. And we were declared righteous because we believed, just like Abraham did. He believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. So there's a decoration. It didn't mean instantly we became super saint. That's not what it means. But it means there was a declaration in the courts of heaven that said, Tim Brown is mine because of what my son did for him. I've called him. I've now justified him. And then it goes on. It says, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Hmm. That's coming, folks. That's coming. We're going to be trophies of the grace of God one day. We are now, but in fullness of glory, in something we can't even perceive right now. And we desire that. And the Bible says what? He will give us the desires of our heart. How many of you long to be out of and out of the presence of sin, temptation, the world, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it gets downright depressing. And you have to preach to yourself, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. You've got to look back to the one who has saved us out of the world that we might be used in the world to glorify him. But notice something in this. It's called a chain because it doesn't break. God doesn't go and, and uh, foreknow people and not predestinate them. He doesn't predestinate somebody and doesn't call them. He doesn't call somebody and doesn't justify them. And he doesn't justify them and they not get glorified. There's no place where it breaks down. If you were foreknown, then you were predestinated. If you were predestinated, God called you. And if he called you, he justified you. And if he justified you, he will glorify you. You go, Tim, I, I haven't been called. I, I, I don't know what it is to be a believer. Well... The message is to you to repent of your sins. Are you convicted in your heart? Do you feel that tremendous weight of your sin and of the judgment of God on you? Because we read about that in John chapter 3 yesterday. If you do, cry out to God for mercy. And He will give it. But if you don't feel that, we're going to talk about this in a bit. If you're hardening your heart, which is what the Word does to it. Either it's going to harden somebody or it's going to give grace to the hearer, one or the other. Then you better be careful. You better repent now. Well, how can I do it, Tim? It says he has to do it. Well, the, I, I can't tell you that you do it. I give the Word trusting that God does it for you. I'm not trusting you to figure it out. I'm Trusting that the Word of God goes out and He does what He sends it out, His purpose is to do. And that is to save His lost sheep. That is to save His elect. And it's to harden everybody else. That's just the truth of Scripture that's there. Notice what else He says. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, you guys have probably heard this passage, but did you know it came in the midst of this? about God's election, about His choosing, about His free will, not yours. 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril? Or no! He's called us. He's conforming us to the image of his Son. There ain't nothing going to separate us from God in that. That is the care and the protection of our Father. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Yep, they're killed. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Why? The hands of wicked men. And yet, in the midst of that killing, in the midst of that slaughter, the Father protects them into the next life. Precious in his sight are the death of his saints. The Bible says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we come over to chapter 9. I'm going to have to hit this really quick. It's going to be kind of hard to do that. <laughs> but I'm going, to, I'm going to try my best to do it. Now, that's right out of... That's right out of 8. Remember, chapters and verses aren't there in the original languages. They're there for our benefit so that we know where to find certain things when we're talking about it, right? So let me just get over here because there's a lot to cover here, and then I'm going to give you the example out of the book of Exodus that, that Paul goes to. Romans chapter 9, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So what's he saying? He's saying, for my fellow Hebrews, for my fellow Israelites, I could wish that I was under the judgment of God so that you might know God's grace. That's what he's saying. He's got a real heart for his people. Okay? And this is why when I hear people, you know, we, we talk about the Zionism, we talk about Judaism and stuff, and how it's really anti-Christ. That's what they were holding to. It really disturbs me when I hear people, you know, want to take those people and put attacks on the people themselves. Ungodly attacks. Because if one of their own, the Apostle Paul, could say, I've got a heart that wants to see my people know Christ, how much more should we have that kind of heart? That we want all kinds of people, out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, to know the Lord. I think that we should do that. I really do. He says, My kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken no effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Stop and think about that a second. Because, you know, we got this idolatry of modern-day geopolitical Israel in the church. It is an idolatry. Paul here specifically says, "These I have a thing for my countrymen, right? But then he says, not all Israel... 
for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. What's he saying? And you guys remember when Jesus is confronting the Pharisees? And he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Ah, you're not even 50 years old, and you claim to have seen Abraham. No, no, no. You're, you're a fornication, dude. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, I am. He took the name of God that he gave to Moses when Moses said, Who shall I tell them sent me when he goes into the land of Egypt? He says, You tell them, I am that I am sent you. I am the existing one, self-existing. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything to exist. I just am. That's what Jesus is claiming in that passage. And he looks at them who claim they're children of Abraham, and he goes, nope, your daddy's the devil. Because if you were children of Abraham, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. But you don't. You seek to kill me. That's what Jesus said about those who claim to be Jews, who claim to be Israelites, but they weren't. Oh, they were in the covenant there, but they had broken it. They had completely broken it. And they were looking to justify themselves. So, Here's what he does. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Hmm. So just because you came from the loins of Abraham does not make you an Israelite. This is Paul's argument in Galatians. The whole book is against that. This idea that... that you know, there's a and look. We're gonna have we're gonna play a um, um, an interview tomorrow that Lynn and I did a brief uh, with a lady who's doing some great work in in Raleigh uh, against the education system, and she's Jewish. Very kind lady, happy to have her on. Um, but just because somebody claims they're a Jew doesn't mean that they are. This is what he's saying. In fact, if you go to to Romans chapter two, he cleared this up. He says not all Jews are Jews. I mean, just because you're circumcised to the flesh doesn't make you a Jew. Okay? It doesn't do that. So, he goes on and he says, neither because, he says, um, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And what does Paul tell us in the book of Galatians? He says that seed is not seeds, as of many, but as of one, as of the Christ. Okay? That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. So, you've got... Uh, he gives you he gives you two examples here. The first one he gives you is in verse nine. Okay, this is Abraham. Now, what happened with Abraham? Well, Abraham had Sarah for his wife, and he got the promise from God. And Sarah says, "I'll fix that. I'll give you my concubine." I don't know what wife thinks like that. <laughs> okay, I just I I don't get it. No woman that I know thinks like that. She, I'll give you my concubine. I'll give you Hagar. You go into her. And she'll get pregnant, and there, that'll, be the, that'll be the promised son. So Abraham goes, yes, dear, if I have to. And then they get Ishmael. And then later, Sarah gets pregnant, and she bears Isaac. So the example is, 
one guy with two women. Okay, that's the first thing he does. And who is the child of promise? It's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. And who made the promise? Did Abraham make the promise? Nope. Did Sarah make the promise? Nope. Hagar? Nope. God made the promise, and that's what he lays out. So then he comes to the second one, verse 11, and now he's going to give us a father with the same wife. Or verse 10, I'm sorry. And not only this, but when, I, when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, pay attention to what he writes here, not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, there it is again, that term calleth that we read in John chapter 6, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Esau is going to serve Jacob. And then he says this. Ooh, this really ruffles some people's feathers. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Let that sink in a minute. Who's determining all this? Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Ishmael, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Rachel. And who, who's determining? God is. All of it, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Now, I've heard people say, oh, well, um, you know, what's really being talked about is he's choosing nations here. That's not what's going on. He's choosing individuals. He's electing and calling individuals, not nations. Yeah, nations come from them, no doubt about that. But he's doing it, he's dealing with individuals. And then he asks the question because he presumes people are going to ask it. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Is God unrighteous because he exercises his free will in choosing and electing certain people and not doing it for others? Is he unrighteous? Do you look at him funny for that? For he saith unto Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, God's not always merciful to every single person. Or compassionate to every single person. He chooses who he will do that to. Because the fact of the matter is, when we read in Scripture, we see how we've been in rebellion against him. None of us deserve his mercy. None of us deserve his compassion. None of us. So if we get some, we just say, God, why have you done this for us? Not, why did you not do it for the other person? For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Now stop and think about that a second. You guys have heard of uh, Rick Warren, right? His uh, uh, purpose-driven church and you know something days of purpose. I, I don't keep up with all the stuff because I just I don't trust the guy. He says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and there's a lot of people who've picked up on that. I want you to listen to the plan God had for Pharaoh's life. Tell me if that lines up with what they're teaching you. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, let me ask you something. How was that accomplished for Pharaoh? What and too good was it? Wasn't too good. Pharaoh was destroyed. 
His firstborn was killed. His armies were drowned. His people were judged. All the plagues that came upon Egypt didn't turn out too good for Pharaoh. Wasn't a wonderful plan for his life. It was wonderful in the eyes of the Lord, but not in the eyes of Pharaoh and not in the eyes of Egypt, was it? Stop and think about that just a second. And then he says this. Therefore hath he mercy, that's God, on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now we're going to come back to that, but I just want to show you something, because I, I've made mention of this uh, on several occasions. And I pulled up several passages, and then I'm going to kind of hit a couple of them here uh, as we as we go through them. This is straight out of Exodus, okay? This is before Moses steps foot into Egypt. Because, see, when I'm dealing with people who want to try to build man up a little bit, that he's got this free will to do this, that, and all this kind of stuff, it's just, this is not what the Bible teaches. Let me show you. Exodus chapter 4. And we read in verse 19, And the Lord said unto Moses and Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons, and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. So here's the thing. You say, well, Tim, if men can't figure this out, because I can hear the questions. If men are spiritually blind, if they're dead in their sins, if they can't understand in and of themselves, and it requires God to do it, well, then how is God holding them accountable? How is he holding them accountable? Because they're sinners by nature, not because they sin, but it is in their nature. The nature has been corrupted. It has to be restored. And the only way to restore it is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the way you restore man back into God and back into his rightful place. But I want you to notice something. Moses goes and preaches to Pharaoh, let my people go. And yet God said, I'm going to harden his heart that he will not let the people go. Well, if God's hardened his heart, that's not fair, man. That's not fair. No, but it's just, isn't it? Because Pharaoh wanted to do what he wanted to do. I'm going to show you that in a little bit, too. But God tells Moses before he steps foot into Egypt, I'm going to harden his heart. You preach the message. It's going to go out and do the purpose I sent it for, and that is to harden Pharaoh. That should scare people. That God's word would go out and harden your heart. That should, that should, that should put the fear of God in you. That his word would go out and it wouldn't bring grace to you. It would be to harden you in your sin. That's what he did for Pharaoh here. Then we go to Exodus chapter 7. What do we read there? And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. 
Now, this term is not that you're making him a god. When you see the term god here, you're seeing what Jesus said. He said they called them gods. He's talking about he's become a judge unto Pharaoh. Okay? He's been one over Pharaoh, calling out his sin, telling him to let the people of God go. And Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine enemies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments." And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon, the, upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. See, God isn't interested in building up man. He's interested in glorifying himself, giving weight to who he is among his creation. That's what he's interested in. I told you guys about that old preacher, I think he was down in Louisiana, that I used to listen to years ago when I'd work out on the job sites. And he was on every morning, I think around 9 or 9.30 uh, in the morning. So it was one of the first first things I heard uh, when I got to the job site. And he used to say, all these preachers going saying, just give Jesus your heart. He goes, God don't want your heart, your old dirty heart. He says, he wants to take that out and put a new one in. Amen. So that he's glorified in the work that he does. But you see, along the way, God is the one saying he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, Exodus chapter 10. Got it again. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Hmm. I have. Not, I'm going to harden his heart. Now it's, I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. In other words, that I might show who's really God, because Pharaoh would declare to his people he was God. And God's like, not so, dude. You're not even close. Not even close. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's sons. Listen to the, 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 the wonderful works of God, Psalm 78. We're to teach those things and say, this is how God has worked. In history, this is how he's worked in our lives. And of thy sons' sons, what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. <laughs> Whew. That's good when you see it in the perspective it's meant to be, right? He's doing it so that you will know, I am who I said I am. I'm the Lord. So what did they do? And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locust into thy coast. Now let's jump to Exodus chapter 14. And here we read, 
The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speaking to the children of Israel, that they go forward? But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. This is at the Red Sea. They've already left Egypt because the, the, the death of the firstborn was just too much for Pharaoh. And, and in his anguish, he let the people go. But immediately he had a right back to his hard, stony heart, and he was going to go after them. And he had chased them, and God had protected them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Right? And the children of Israel, so he says, lift up your, your staff over the sea, divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. I'm going to harden his, the hearts of his armies. I'm going to harden them to the point where they're just going to defy what they're seeing. My power in dividing the waters, making it dry ground so that, that I don't know, a million of you Israelites, you Hebrews, can go across to the other side safely. And they're going to be so dumb and stupid... They're going to see that miracle and think they're going to get through there unscathed. And they're going to come after you, and when they do, I'm going to close the waters in on them so that what? I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. Oh, that's terrible that God would do something like that. Tell me, how can you believe in a God who would do such a thing? How can you not? How can you not believe in a, a holy and a just God? <laughs> Many of you out there will be upset at the injustice that goes on, and you see people getting away with it. But you know what? They don't get away with it in front of God's eyes. Nope, nope. He sees it all. He's got it written down. And he's going to bring justice. And he did in this instance. In fact, remember years ago, and I think I've made mention of this too, uh, you know, they used to say Ramesses were the Ten Commandments, you know, Charlton Heston, I mean Charlton Heston yesterday on the Ben-Hur, but, uh, but in the Ten Commandments, how that was Ramesses, right? And they came to find out years later that it wasn't Ramesses at all. There was another uh, pharaoh at the time, and in that, they found out that apparently after this event, those who came in and took over Egypt did so without shooting a, a single arrow. Why? There wasn't an army around. They were all in the bottom of the Red Sea. Think about that. Our history shows us these things, that, that the Bible's true. I want to give you a couple of other ones, and then we'll bring it down. And these I'm just going to kind of pull up here um, of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Some of these I'm going to go over. I, I think I just went over them, but I wanted to bring it up where you see that God did harden his heart, but Pharaoh wanted to do what he wanted to do. Okay, So I don't want to just say, this is on God. Yeah, God is doing this. He says he's going to do it. But Pharaoh did what he wanted to do. Nobody had a gun to his head saying, you're going to do this or that and the other. That's not what went on. So Exodus chapter 8, verse 32, And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Okay? And... Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. And when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Okay? 
And the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. I mean, the, even the magicians had enough sense to say, hey, there's, you, you better pay attention here. It's the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Exodus 9, 7, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. 9.35, And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had said. And it goes on and on. So there's this... There's this, what I want you to understand is, is that yes, God said he's going to harden his heart before Moses stepped foot in Egypt. But God didn't put a gun to his head and say, Pharaoh, um, don't let my people go so I can show my glory. That's not what he did. Pharaoh wanted to harden his heart toward the word of God. Now, what does all this have to do with us? Well, as we read before, God shows mercy to whom he show mercy. Let's go back here into Romans. I'm going to try to wrap up. Boy, I'm, I'm going as long as I did yesterday. <laughs> so here's what he says. This is back in Romans chapter 9. And we left off here. Therefore hath he, he, ha, he, ugh, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy. Excuse me, i got to have a drink of water here. And whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? I mean, if God is the one who chooses men to save them, and if he hardens other people, why is he finding fault with us? Isn't he the one doing all this stuff? For who's resisted his will? And you can understand that, right? As a man, you can understand that. Why would God do this and then find people guilty? Why would he judge them? Why would he put them under condemnation? And Paul's answer is this. Nay, but, O man... Who art thou to repliest against God? Who are you to speak out against the judge? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? And he's talking about the lump of humanity. He's, that's the metaphor he's using. To make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. You know, look, we got, we got, uh, we got potters that make bowls that we eat out of, right? They make plates that we eat off of. Some of them make, uh, that used to be, wash basins and the pitcher, you know, that you pour the water in, you wash your face and hands and stuff when you go somewhere. Some of them make toilet bowls. One's, some of them seem more honorable than others, right? <laughs> I mean, if you had your choice to be one or the other, do you want to be the toilet bowl or do you want to be the plate? Um, that's what he's saying. Doesn't the potter have the right to make the vessels the way he sees fit to make them? Sure he does. And then he says this. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And we read about some of these in 2 Peter chapter 2 the other day or made mention of it, we didn't actually read the passage, but the false teachers that they've been marked out, or you can read them in Jude, they've been marked out for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. 
And he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. <laughs> God is saying he has a right over his creation to do with it what he wants. And whether it is a vessel that he bears long-suffering with, rebellious men that are hardened in their stance, and that he's glorified in his justice and wrath upon those people, because that's his, that's his attributes too. Or whether he is glorified in saving a people himself, and specifically he says going outside to those Gentiles who were not considered his people, right? Remember Hosea? This, this, is, this is ties right back into the, the story of Hosea. He goes out into the Gentiles who weren't his people. For, for many of us, that's, that's me, that's you. He, he goes out and he says, you weren't my people, but now you're my people. In fact, we go to Ephesians where we read yesterday, you're not just my people. You're my sons. You're my daughters. I have adopted you into my family. Does God have a right to do that? Yeah, he does. Well, why doesn't he have the right to leave some who are worthy of the justice? I mean, just as we were. We're worthy of his justice. But that justice has been meted out on Christ. What about those who reject Christ, who trample him underfoot? What about those who are at war with God and rebel against him and are unrepentant? Does he not have the right to leave them in that? They chose that state, didn't they? Yep, they did. And to mete out justice, is he glorified that? Yep, he's glorified in destruction and righteous indignation and, judge, and judgment just as much as he is in grace and mercy. That's the true God. That's the true and living God. And I want to leave you with this. Some of you are familiar with this passage. But in the book of Hebrews, the writer is there to build Christ up above everything that they've known. Okay? It is to take Jesus and make him the fulfillment of anything that you read in the Old Testament. Whether it be Moses, whether it be the law, whether it be even Adam, because he's referred to as the second Adam, whether it be King David, whether it be Solomon, whether it be the Psalms, uh, because Jesus tells his disciples after his resurrection, Moses and the prophet and the Psalms, they all speak about me, right? So he's got that in there, and he warns these Hebrews because they're being tempted for the pressure that is being put on them to go back to Judaism, go back to this old this old thing that Christ is the fulfillment of, which has now become, you read it in, in the book of Revelation, the synagogue of Satan. Listen to me. If you claim to be a Christian and you're looking for a third temple over in geopolitical Israel with animal sacrifice and the priests, what are you doing? You're falling right into the Hebrews, uh, the, the argument that the writer is giving to the Hebrews here. What does that do? It's an abomination. It is that which is against what Christ has done. It's counting the blood of the covenant an unholy or a common thing and trampling on it. It's not exalting Christ. 
In the Hebrews chapter 3, here's what we read. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. See, he's warned them about falling away, going, becoming apostate, going back to Judaism. That's what he's, and these warnings are, are in several places in the book of Hebrews. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. See, Israel did that too. The same thing that, they, that, that Pharaoh did. But with, some, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? Here's the conclusion. Your heart's either being hardened, or it's being given grace. There's not like a, a middle ground of that, of what the Lord is doing. And if you're one today that you have heard the voice of the Lord, and I'm not necessarily saying you hear it with your ears in a sense that there's some audible voice except my own coming out giving you the Word of God. That's the voice of God. The Word of God is. If you've heard that, don't harden your heart. Don't learn from what Pharaoh d did. Well, Tim, you just said God's hardening his heart and he's softening, he's showing mercy. He's the one determined. Yeah, but I don't know, and neither do you, who he's doing that to. The Bible says if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Learn from those of the past. See their destruction. See their end. Make a wise decision to leave off your sin. And only God can do that in you. So I trust that he will do for you what he has done for me and what he has done for hundreds of thousands, millions of people throughout history. And that is he will take out of you a hardened, stony heart and that will give you a heart of flesh that you may glorify him in that. But rest assured, if you harden your heart, he's going to be glorified in that too in your destruction. Therefore, repent. Guys, have a great day. Um, Bradley will be on at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And again, we'll be back in the morning, right into the core Wednesday, with the Common Core Diva, Lynn Taylor. Talk to you then. See you.